Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Hello, listeners. Just a quick content warning for this episode for rape allegations, because in the movie we're discussing today, a character falsely accuses another character of rape. And we discuss that pretty extensively toward the middle of the episode, just so you're aware of that ahead of time. Enjoy the episode. 
On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, Jamie, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again so that we can pass the Bechdel test. And here's to you, Mrs. Bechdelcast. The fans love us more than we could know. She's married. (laughs) Mrs. Bechdelcast? Thoughts? I love it. (laughs) I'm like, I can't stop smiling. (laughs) You're. Yeah, Mrs. Bechdelcast. That's the new name of our show. (laughs) I. Who's she married to? Herself. <gasps> wow. Oh, oh my God. I love that for her. Wow. That literally put like butterflies in my stomach for some reason. I don't, I don't know what that, that, wow. What would art, we would, we would be, would it be Durante and Loftfunkel or Loftus and Durantfunkel? Durantfunkel is a mouthful. I'm happy with, I would happily accept Loftfunkel. <laughs> Jam Loftfunkel. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. That means you get to marry Carrie Fisher. God, you're so lucky. Wait, did Paul sign? Oh my wow, God. Wow, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, it was, it, well, spoiler alert, didn't end well mm. because they got divorced. I don't know that much about it. I just know that I am a Carrie Fisher stand for life and Paul Simon hurt her feelings. So, well, fuck him. But yeah, I think I'm going to have to kill him. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, uh, hello. My name is Caitlin Durant Funkel. <laughs> Let's just both be Art Guard Funkel. I think that that's honestly, okay. I'm pretty, and again, like, classic rockheads please correct us because i don't have a ton of my honestly i'm at my dad's house right now and he was trying to tell me about simon and garfunkel and i just could not be bothered Mm. i was like i'm busy (laughs) so he probably could have supplemented this conversation but um i'm pretty sure art garfunkel was like good vibes less talented maybe Mm. and paul simon was like almost like paul mccartney like I'm this I'm I'm, I'm very talented star. and he was right but he was an asshole oh sure one of those situations so I feel like being of the Funkle variety and I'm sure Art Garfunkel is super talented but he just had a good personality and people are like men are assholes which brings us to mm. the top oh also my name is Jam Loftfunkel <laughs> and this is the Bechtel cast oh yeah so I guess I'm Kate 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 Der, Der, Derfunkel I like Derfunkel Derfunkel <laughs> Do you remember that guy? Okay, this is not passing the bottle cast. Do you remember that guy, Brian Dunkelman? No. Who's that? Okay. This is the worst story ever. <laughs> I'm falling asleep already. But he was like the original host of American Idol pre-Ryan Seacrest. Huh? He was like a host of maybe, I don't remember like, but his name was Brian Dunkelman. And I just remember him really well because... He had a comedy album he released, and it was called American Dunkelman, and that made me laugh. <laughs> I don't know what he was like, or I can't picture him, but I was like, American Dunkelman? That's hilarious. That's pretty almost funny. as good as Kate Derfunkel, Derfunkel. or Jam Loftfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's the podcast anyway. about? <laughs> 
So this is the Bechtel cast in which we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens. And we use a little something called the Bechtel test, sure. which we simply use as a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. But that, of course, is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, uh-huh. sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. There are different versions of the test. The one that we use is this. Two characters of a marginalized gender have to have names. They have to speak to each other. And that conversation has to be about something other than a man. And ideally, it's a substantial conversation. You know, it's two or more lines of dialogue and it is plot relevant. Plot relevant, you say? Yeah. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. (laughs) Not here. Not in this one. Oh, my God. Aggressively not so. But but that said, I think that this is going to be a fascinating conversation. We've been getting requests for this movie for some time mm-hmm. because I'm pretty sure this podcast has been going on for as long as this movie has been out. Is that correct? Yeah. Deca- decades. 55 years. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Um, today we're covering <laughs> feminist masterpiece. The, the graduate. graduate. Oh yeah. my goodness. So much to talk about. What is your history with the graduate? <sighs> the graduate and I, um, I definitely didn't see it before college. I feel like I had to watch this as a part of a film class or something. Mm-hmm. I will say I, I've never been a particular fan of this movie. I mean, I haven't seen it in at least at least since before we've been doing this show. Sure, I've never same. watched it critically before. I just always have kind of been like, my recollection of my reaction to it was like, I really like Anne Bancroft, but this movie is boring to me. Like, I just didn't... <laughs> I just thought it was boring and I thought that and I and and in my defense I was right. I thought the lead character was really boring. Uh-huh. And then w- looking when you look at it critically you're like, well, he's a lot of things. But um <laughs> but I was just like this is so boring to me. I just didn't like it. But I will say I am a big Mike Nichols fan. I absolutely mm. love Mike Nichols. He directed two of my favorite movies ever, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf mm-hmm. and um, The Birdcage. Uh-huh. And he's an icon. I really admire his work, Rest in Power. I know this is one of his most famous movies, but it's just not one of my favorites. And then rewatching it for this, I was like, what? This is kind of like a minefield for us because obviously it's like you can't like leverage 2022 uh values against a movie like this but i feel like it really does open a lot of doors for discussion with like how like young boomers were perceived mm. when they were coming of age and like because we know how that story ends i feel like it's <laughs> it's just uh it's just it's interesting much like carrie fisher and paul simon's marriage it doesn't end well right <laughs> and right. so go so looking back on it i i think this will be a fun discussion but yeah I will say still kind of just like even criticisms aside of which I have you know plenty I just think it's kind of a boring movie Caitlin what's your history with this movie I don't disagree I saw it in college probably for the same reason either I had to watch it for a film class or it was just one of those things it's where it was like it's a great American classic I need to have seen it yeah so I watched it probably when I was like a freshman or sophomore and I only watched it that once, and I finally understood the reference that Wayne's World 2 makes at the end of that movie because it spoofs okay, now the graduate. Okay, now we're talking highfalutin brain stuff. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I now understand what Wayne's World 2 had been spoofing all along. And so that was my main connection to it. Isn't it but- heavily referenced in American Pie as well? Like Stifler's mom. Like I feel like there's like Mrs. Robinson mm-hmm. references in regards to Stifler's mom in American Pie, another feminist classic, obviously. I don't remember if it, <laughs> right? I don't remember if it is like, directly referencing it or if it's just like homage kind of thing couldn't yeah can't say but um yeah i mean this movie certainly has a major cultural influence the whole like Huge. plastics yeah. thing like i kind of forgot about that there, the <laughs> yeah like it's i mean this movie is super influential i i had a good time reading about the production history and like sort of how Mm -hmm. because there's just there's a lot of interesting production stuff going on as well ultimately yeah this movie uh is well we'll get into it in just a second it's not my fave Mm -mm. really at all i do feel like there's like interest i'm I'm trying to think of nice things to say at the beginning i love ann bancroft i love Catherine ross Mm -hmm. i love mike nichols i think the cinematography is interesting at times and other times maybe not so much so maybe that wasn't nice (laughs) I think there's some interesting editing choices. I think yes. some of the monta- the montages are fun. You know what? One thing I was thinking, and I was like, maybe is this ground zero for this trope? Do you remember when we were like, for whatever reason, we did a couple of coming-of-age movies. They were like coming-of-age movies about young women. The swimming pool thing. The swimming pool thing. Yes, I had the same thought. The, was this where the swimming pool, like rich kid goes into a swimming pool to really think about the fact that they're an adult now? vibes i is that do think maybe <laughs> this movie pioneered that trope perhaps wow because the it happens in what it happens in eighth grade it happens in eighth like grade it happens in house. ladybird ladybird it happens yes. in something else i guess it, not necessarily a rich it's not always a rich person but it happens at a person with a pool's house it's a white person going it's underwater to person. reflect about their past present and future now what the hell is that all about? <laughs> I get, I get it. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Um, but I was like, maybe this is the where it started. Could be question mark. I don't. We don't really know about many years that came before this because we're just really young. So <laughs> kind of hard to say um, what was happening. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no. I think this is like this is wild too because it was like putting me in my uh, my Kathy Ackcast bag mm. of just like wanting to talk about second wave feminism and like the you know uh-huh. complicated politics of second wave feminism sure. and also this movie coming out before roe v wade another just lots of things to discuss <sighs> so yeah shall we get into it let's do it here's the recap we meet ben braddock played by dustin hoffman he is returning to los angeles ever heard of it He's 20 years old, question mark. Yeah. He's 30 years old. Okay. I learned about this from scholarly journal Wikipedia that, yeah, Dustin Hoffman was just shy of his 30th birthday when filming this movie. They're six years apart. And Bancroft was 35 when this movie was shot. Yeah. And Bancroft, absolute fucking legend. The casting for this was weird because it was like, they clearly... I feel the makeup choices were to make her look older. Mm-hmm. But when Mike Nichols was given the opportunity to cast older actresses, he said no. no. And you're just like, but why? I mean, I love Anne Bancroft. I feel like she is so amazing in this role. But then like he could have cast Ava Gardner. And you're just like, 
So why not do that? Mm-hmm. It boggles the mind. We can't ask. Oh, him. maybe it's because, you know, there's a huge bias in Hollywood against older actors who are women. Maybe I totally. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, and I feel like it, it does. But it like speaks to that moment specifically, too, because I feel like now it's kind of like a bit more of a reverse where it's like I cannot think of many modern examples of a younger actor, especially especially a woman being aged up. I feel like it happens in the reverse all the time. And like your whole thing with like every woman needs to look about 37 years old. That rule. Yeah. I feel like Sandra Bullock, who is 60 or near sick, like she's Mm -hmm. some age. An icon, a legend. I mean, an absolute icon. She is older than you would probably think she might be. But I feel like she's still playing roles for like 40 year old women. Early for yeah, it it does feel like, and this certainly wasn't, as far as I know, a, a thing in the '60s. I just thought it was interesting that like there's obviously, I mean, in the casting process, the writing process, a ton of sexism at play here. Mm-hmm. But I just it was like it was a, it was a flavor of sexism I hadn't seen in a while. I was like, wow, aging like, it almost feels like, and I don't have I don't this is my working through this in real time but like sure it feels like okay well i i literally refuse to have an actor over 40 on screen but i need a 40 ish year old character so let me <laughs> age up a woman in her mid 30s and you're just like so much work right for what like it's just i mean it's all a lot of work and to be clear we're not saying that like you know any actor over 40 should you know, like if, if as far as like cosmetic surgery goes or, or things to look younger, like mm-hmm. live your life. But I do feel like there, you can't ignore the fact that there is that pressure now. For sure. Anyways. Yes. Women aging, we can't have it. It's against the law. It's immoral and illegal. Yeah. It's not right. Uh, <laughs> okay. So. Okay. Ben Braddock is Dustin Hoffman. He is returning to Los Angeles after finishing college. His parents are throwing him a like welcome back party with all of their family friends and none of his friends that are his age. Anyway, I don't um, think he has any friends. I, I mean, I think which is yeah. we'll t- we'll talk about that. But like, yeah, I don't I don't think I think that's one of Benjamin's problems. He doesn't have friends. Could be. So despite him doing very well in college, he expresses all these anxieties and doubts. Shout out to the movie Doubt about. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Of course. Uh, He expresses all these anxieties about his future. Uh And that's when a family friend is like plastics. And Ben is like, okay. Mm hmm. Ben gets away from the party and goes into his room where Mrs. Robinson, played by Anne Bancroft. Ever heard of her? Ever heard of her? Another family friend. She comes in thinking it's the bathroom. They chat for a moment and then she asks Ben to drive her home, which he reluctantly does. Mm -hmm. She then invites him in to her house under the pretense that she's scared to go in alone in the dark. He reluctantly goes in. She's offering him a drink. And she's now we're, like really we're in, trying to keep him there. We're in a danger zone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is this, Top Gun? Because danger zone alert. 
this uh but the way this i do pretty clearly remember how i didn't remember the specifics but i remember like what happens mm -hmm. towards the beginning of the movie obviously because that's where all the famous lines of the movie are kind of in the first 10 minutes right but it does make the rest of the movie extremely difficult to talk about because it starts yeah. with well let's let's get to it i suppose <laughs> yeah so she's not taking no for an answer. He's trying to leave. And then he's like, Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me, aren't you? And she's like, no, I'm not. And we all go, hey. And then there's the shot of him like framed around her leg. And it's it's iconic. But Headless Women of Hollywood canon. Right, exactly. So she denies trying to seduce him, but then, she, and then she shows him a portrait of her daughter, Elaine, who is close to his age. Is that a rich person thing? Or is this movie like weirdo where they're like, yeah, I have a, I had a painting commission of my daughter. It's in her bedroom. They're like, why do I have a painting of myself in my, for it's, I, it's interesting. I don't know what rich people are, we don't know. are doing. Um, but I was like, is that a 60s thing? Is that a rich people thing? Is that a pervert thing? We don't know. We simply don't know. We don't know. So Mrs. Robinson is all like, no, I'm not trying to seduce you. And then she does get naked in front of him. Mm -hmm. Ben continues to be very uncomfortable and he runs out. But on his way out of the house, he runs into Mr. Robinson, Mrs. Robinson's her husband yeah and he's like ben you should relax take a load off have a few flings even you're young get out there and fuck every adult in this movie thinks ben is so interesting amazing irresistible <laughs> yeah and you're just like i'm lost uh, i'm lost what <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> It's so funny because I do think that like as I was watching this movie, it his character, which we'll talk about, you know, but like his character scans to me the way that like back in the day, boomers would talk about millennials where it was like, you're just moving back in with your yeah. parents. You're so entitled. You're mooching off the blah, 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 mm -hmm. which was like a fallacy we were just um you know excluded from ever being able to own property but <laughs> and suffocating under our student loan debt but right. sure we were we're lazy came of age during a recession but <laughs> that the boomers caused sure but fine oh, oh. <laughs> but it just is funny because ben is doing the thing that they would go on to say that we were doing but he's actually doing the thing mm -hmm. he's like just hanging out by the pool every day and not doing anything. he's living this like i would say it's hedonistic but he's so boring that it's like i can't even call it that in good his life seems creepy and boring mm -hmm. true well yeah i suppose let's continue <laughs> <laughs> let's um so ben considers this and then jumps in the swimming pool and has one of those swimming pool coming of age moments Mm -hmm. which I guess causes him to change his mind. He has it in a scuba suit, which is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think the first, usually it's just a bathing suit. Yeah. But for him, there's some equipment involved. He's rich. He needed a whole breathing apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny. He needed to sit down at the bottom, at the bottom of that pool for a long time and have a long think about whether or not he was going to have sex with mrs robinson yeah that's how you that's how you know he had to think about it he needed a scuba <laughs> okay this movie has its moments sure. i didn't hate dustin hoffman falling into a pool in a scuba suit 
There are some funny satirical moments that I appreciated. I mean, Mike Nichols, man. But those were only very small punctuation marks in an otherwise pretty insufferable movie. Anyway. Okay. So he changes his mind and calls up Mrs. Robinson and invites her to the Taft Hotel where he is currently just hanging out at. They get a room He's nervous, and she's like, is this your first time? And he's like, um, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) He has this, like, I mean, and I do feel like there's at least some self-awareness and commentary in this. Mm -hmm. I want to believe that. Sometimes it's very unclear. But, like, whenever he's, like, his masculinity is questioned, he, like, Mm. like, gets very angry yes gets very angry very upset yikes and i don't i don't like him (laughs) i don't like him Uh -uh. i think he's a yeah so he's like no i've fucked before and then the lights go off and this is the start of a secret affair that they have yeah we get a montage of mostly just him being boring which (laughs) i know is like i think the movie knows he's like just kind of hanging out and being boring but it's like it's just boring. But I think the movie is telegraphing to us, oh my gosh, look at this poor, rich, white kid with his college degree, and look how aimless he is. Don't you feel bad for him? And it's like, yeah, of course I don't. Right. Do but mean? it's like, but that's all, that's like in retrospect, too. Like, it is such a weird thing, because I, I feel like there's similar vibes that I, at least I've gotten from, like, some gen x teen movies where it Mm. like the underlying message is like my parents like give me anything i want and i feel so suffocated right when it's like when when you like fast forward to generations that like well that wouldn't be so bad really would it (laughs) (laughs) you know like it it like rings super hollow and shitty in retrospect but yeah it's like i know that we're he's i just am like this character is unbelievably boring to the point where when he gets to berkeley and they're like are you a like a rabble rouser and you're like are you kidding me (laughs) he's the most boring man alive he wishes (laughs) he's literally just a garden variety stalker like sorry yeah okay so we get this montage also meanwhile his parents are on his case about what he's doing with his life and how do you spend your time, Ben? But they're also like, we get it. You should have a beer. You you deserve it. You're awesome. You're amazing. But like, <laughs> have you thought about going to school? No? Okay. okay. And I'm just like, these parents are absurdly chill. Like, everyone is rooting for him so hard. Yeah. And I'm sort of like, kick him out. Truly. There is a moment where his dad is like, get off your ass and go to grad school. And then I'm over here like, it is not worth the money right where it's like it's he's super privileged that like that is and it's it's like heavily implied that like he's not gonna pay for grad school and in the 60s it's not like it comes on which way that why doesn't (laughs) he just what is he even doing (sighs) whatever i just feel like it's it's fine to be you know i get like 21 aimless don't know what you want to do with your life sure fine relatable but you know you gotta do something yeah gotta do something pick just, something you can't just you have every privilege on the fucking pl- just do something get into pottery ben <laughs> i don't know why i said pottery <laughs> hey you know that's that's something that's something 
Okay, so he's again just like lying in a in the pool most of the time. And then Mr. Robinson comes over at some point and he's like, Hey, my daughter Elaine will be home from Berkeley soon. You should take her out, Ben. Then I think a few months pass. The affair between Ben and Mrs. Robinson is still going on. It's still secret. Mm-hmm. At one point, Ben is like, hey, Mrs. Robinson, can we have a conversation for once? And then she tells him about her unhappy marriage and how they mm-hmm. only got married because she got pregnant yes. with their daughter, Elaine. I do kind of appreciate that she, I mean, the dynamics to this relationship, there's a lot to discuss, but like, I do kind of, she does seem to know that intellectually he is a flop and <laughs> and she's she, like, I don't want to have conversations with you. Like, I don't I need to know to what's going you. on in your mind. And you're like, yeah, based on my appraisal of this character, I know, I think that we're <laughs> supposed to like in that moment, find her like a little cold for sure. But I was like, yeah, what does he have to, what is he bringing to the table? Really? You know, yeah, nothing. Ay-yi-yi. So then Ben jokes about taking Elaine out on a date. But and then Mrs. Robinson is like, don't you freaking dare do that. And he's like, okay, I promise I'll never take her out on a date. Not after calling her a string of very mean things. Mm -hmm. And then also he like does this weird little gaslighting, uh, like, uh, what am I? A little, a little (laughs) swoop. This little swoop of gas where he does bring up. He's like, oh, what? Why? why don't I go out with your daughter? Like, and he's mm-hmm. fucking with her. Yeah. But then like two minutes later, he's like, I didn't even bring this up. I was like, you fully you, brought it up. Yeah. You, br- I, sorry. That like triggered my like <laughs> bad relationship brain where I'm just like, you can't tell. Th- yes, you did. He did. He did bring it up. Both of these characters are so manipulative. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So Ben is like, I promise I won't take your daughter Elaine on a date. But then Ben's parents are pressuring him to ask Elaine out and he has no choice. So he takes Elaine, who we finally meet on screen, played by Catherine Ross. And we're like, oh my God. Oh my gosh, Catherine. I love Stepford Wives. <laughs> I love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Love her. So he takes her out on a date, but he's an asshole about it. And he takes her to this like kind of strip club type place. And she's like, what the fuck, dude? And he's like, yeah, I see your point. He makes her cry. Yeah. And he assaults a dancer. Uh, yeah. And then he... And then he surprise kisses. Kisses... He, uh, I wouldn't even call that... I feel like it was worse than a surprise kiss because she was actively in the middle of being like, I... It wasn't even just like, oh, there's a vibe and someone kisses without checking in. It was like she was She's actually crying. like, I, get me the fuck out of here. I will not stop crying. She just literally was like, I'm not going to stop crying. Right. And then he lunges at her. I don't know what that... I feel like it's it's more severe than a surprise kiss, though, because you're just like, she's in the middle of telling you how what a horrible time she's having with you. Ooh, what if, Ugh. okay, maybe there's a spectrum here. What if it's like an attack kiss? <laughs> it kind of it Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it fully works because Elaine's character, as we'll talk about, needs a good therapist and she makes no sense. Her choices to me, I just, I worry about her. That character is written in such a way that you're like, what elaine what is going on in that head of yours (laughs) my god we simply cannot understand okay 
So they start having a nice time after he attack kisses her. Mm-hmm. They, you know, have a little meal together. They're chatting. They're bonding. Although we don't really hear their dialogue. So we don't know what they're talking about or what they have in common or why they like each other, which is another huge problem I have with this movie. Anyway. Yeah. But we, we do hear Ben tell Elaine about an affair that he's been having with an older married woman. Although he obviously does not say that it's with her mother. Yeah, no, he says that she has a son. Yeah. He just, you know, lies. Right. He also says, but don't worry, it's over with this woman. And then he tells Elaine that he really likes her and they make plans to see each other again. But Mrs. Robinson does not like this and she tells Ben to never see Elaine again or else she will tell Elaine everything about her relationship with Ben. So Ben tells Elaine first, so that it like comes out of his mouth, which upsets <sighs> Elaine and she screams at him to get out. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> One of the things that I find just like absolutely mind boggling about this movie mm-hmm. is that you never get a scene, you never get a feel for what mrs robinson and elaine's relationship was like Mm -hmm. before ben comes into the picture and you even more mind-bogglingly don't get a good idea of what happens after After. instead of getting any idea of like what which would even if you're like in like sexist brain like we need to be focused on ben at all times that would enrich his story to understand what's going on Mm -hmm. between the two of them even if you're obsessed with him, it makes more sense to it. But instead of having these long shots of him leering from the bushes, oh. I just, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's literally just like inside of a plant being like, what's going on over there? And it's like, God, God, yeah, you boring criminal. You. <laughs> right. So he tells Elaine the truth, but again, she is very upset and she's like, get out. And now he has lost both Mrs. Robinson and Elaine. Mm -hmm. And then Elaine goes back to college at Berkeley slash Ben watches her leave because this is the point of the story where he starts heavily stalking her. He drives to Berkeley. He follows her around campus. He moves to Berkeley. Then moves there so he can continue stalking her. He stalks her all the way to the zoo where Elaine meets up with this guy, Carl, who she's her seeing. Boyfriend, her like, boyfriend. Uh... And then Elaine comes over to Ben's place to confront him about why he's there. And then she says, by the way, my mom lives? told me that you raped her. And he's like, no, that's not what happened. And then they're kind of they're arguing and things escalate and she screams but then she calms down and then she's like i don't want you to leave and then she's also like i'm sorry i yelled i'm like <sighs> don't be there yeah i mean the the implications of around like false rape allegations that that you're just like very troubling we'll, we'll circle back to yeah that yes. what a mess so then Elaine shows back up to Ben's place in the middle of the night and she's like, kiss me. And then he's like, will you marry me? Parentheses tomorrow. And she's like, I might, but I'm confused. First of all, not 
not that she should be breaking into his house. Although at this point you're like, I'm just completely lost. Like at this point, who knows what's going on? Right. She, you know, she's, she's in his room. He rolls out of bed looking like his breath is foul. (laughs) I felt that kiss in my mouth. Uh, Yeah. You're just like, it's three in the morning and this man's going to taste like what? Yucky. Not good is the answer. Not good. Whiskey and garbage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bad. Yes. He does drink a lot of bourbon throughout the movie. Sorry, bourbon and garbage. So she's like, I mean, it's it's a type of whiskey. Anyway. Pee-pee and poo-poo. Pee-pee and (laughs) (laughs) poo-poo. So she's like, I might marry you, but I'm confused. And he's like, don't be confused. We're getting married. And then Mm -hmm. he continues to try to coerce her into agreeing to marry him. Mm-hmm. But then Mr. Robinson shows up and he is furious and he tells Ben to stay away from his family. And then Ben finds out that Elaine left school to run off and marry Carl. Mm-hmm. So then Ben goes on a wild goose chase to find her, AKA he continues to he stalk continues her. He continues to stalk her up the coast of California. <laughs> yes. He finds out the church that they're getting married at because she's getting married that day. The timeline also of this movie is absurd. Hard to say. We don't know. Uh, They've only been on one date for sure. That's what we know. That's the other thing. I'm like, how many dates have they been on? Because I think it's no more than two. I couldn't so. I, I couldn't tell you what the second one was unless her breaking into his house or him <laughs> stalking her at the zoo counts as a second date. I just They go on the first date to the like burlesque strip show type thing. Mm-hmm. And then I think maybe he's just about to pick her up for a second date. Yeah, Mrs. Robinson gets in the car before he can even go on the second date. Oh my gosh. And then he also charges into her room while she's not wearing clothes and she's like stop I'm not dressed and then he's right. like I need to tell you that I'm having sex with your mom and she's like haha but then she's like oh no oh, and you're like no. oh my goodness oh my goodness Elaine okay. Elaine Let's so he's out of here Elaine yes so yeah he's driving to the church but oh no his car runs out of gas so he takes his like track and cross country skills and runs the rest of the way he bursts into the church he disrupts the wedding and he and elaine run out and then get on a bus and then they sit together on the bus like wait was this a big mistake and then yeah the the expressions on their face are kind of like oh what now i mean and then that's the end of the movie and for for all this movie's faults i that last shot is still kind of cool if you uh forget everything else that happened everything that happened before it (laughs) true but it's a cool it's a cool shot anyways uh let's take a break let's get out of here and then we'll be back let's do it This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, 
features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com with the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. And we're back. All right. Before we get into this movie, let's talk a little bit about the uh, production. Let's talk a little bit about the context of this movie. So this is, I feel like we're, we're kind of in a very different way, but in terms of like the structure of this, we're in kind of, we're in a bit of a carry situation, I would say, mm. because this is a movie that uh, was adapted from a uh, white male author Mm -hmm. by two other white guys and also a a white guy director which is why perhaps the women (laughs) are not are not maybe making a lot of sense no justice was done for their characters particularly with elaine and like i don't like where mrs robinson's character goes but she at, at least i can sort of track where she's for like half of the movie though for half of the movie i understand where her head is at by the end i'm just like beats me but Mm. anyways mike nichols makes this movie calder willingham and buck henry adapt it they have comedy backgrounds those are the funniest names i've ever heard calder willingham and And buck Buck henry Henry. buck henry (laughs) is kind of an icon in a way and also uh mike nichols and buck henry and dustin hoffman are all uh jewish men and this was like a time where uh jewish comedians were along with like mel brooks who gets married to anne bancroft it's all this this Mm -hmm. whole whatever thing it's a big moment for jewish comedy it's just not a a big moment for uh writing women uh but (laughs) anyways i wanted to you know acknowledge that dustin hoffman and fuck him yeah but he pointed out uh that he was surprised that he was cast in the movie because he's jewish Mm -hmm. and then he pointed out that the negative reviews of this movie were often veiled anti-semitic yes and like commenting on the size of his nose and his kind of like manner of speaking so Mm -hmm. yeah worth acknowledging absolutely and also that like this is just kind of you know i don't know where she was come, but i but Catherine ross was like yeah i don't think he's hot enough to be my boyfriend and you're like okay kind yeah. of iconic in a way she does say that she's like i think this love scene will be disgusting 
But maybe she's just anticipating how disgusting and creepy maybe Dustin Hoffman is in real as life. As an individual. Yeah. We don't know. Um, so anyways, that's the background. I think what is more interesting to discuss is, and we've sort of hinted at this already, the casting of Mrs. Robinson mm-hmm. and Ben. They are only six years apart in age. There were a lot of actors who turned down the role of Mrs. Robinson and Elaine because of kind of the nature of the story. This was like considered mm-hmm. to be pretty risky material Edgy. at the time. Edgy. And I guess, whatever, just for acknowledgement, I guess I don't really feel here nor there about it. But like the uh, concept of uh, an older woman and a younger man having a relationship in movies and having it be explicitly sexual not really uh something that was popularly discussed and sure. not a dynamic that was seen in movies very often even today still you still. don't often see that absolutely and it's like i don't think that this movie is a very good blueprint for it but <laughs> <No>. even like <laughs> as a topic of discussion mm-hmm. was not one that was being had and it was also like generationally like this movie like toured colleges and that's like part of how it became really popular was they were specifically targeting young coming of age boomers basically mm-hmm. and you know this movie is like coming out right around the time of like the sexual revolution it's taking place in california around the sexual revolution mm-hmm. setting stuff in berkeley is like very telling and it's just like a very interesting time to be said and then everyone said it was the greatest movie ever when it came out mm-hmm. and then later even our our buddy Roger Ebert uh, reflected on the movie, I think it was like 20 years later and in the 80s and mm-hmm. was like, you know what? Maybe not my favorite after all. <laughs> but at the time it was supposed to be like, oh, this is like the boomer movie. This is the peak of cinema. It was the highest grossing movie of 1967 with $104.9 million worldwide at the box office, which adjusted for inflation and these are like 2021 numbers, um, it grossed $857 million. Okay, Joker Joker money. That's Joker money. Yikes. <laughs> sorry, sorry for saying Joker money. This movie made more money than, I don't know, not, not more money than Minions. Not Minions money. Not Minions money. Kind of Joker money, not Minions money, mm-hmm. but unfair yardstick. Sure. Because that's, that's real comedy. Um <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, so, so okay. That's the history of this film. Obviously very telling that the two main actors, like the movie treats them as, I, what, what would you guess, like 20 years apart in age when in reality they were six years apart in age? The character Mrs. Robinson says, I'm twice your age and we know that he is 20, about to turn 21. So she's, so she's supposed to be as a character in her early 40s. Okay. But again, Dustin Hoffman, the actor, was almost 30, and Anne Bancroft was 35 at the time of shooting. So, yeah. Not the age difference of the characters, certainly. Dustin Hoffman, you know, is giving kind of um, Ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen vibes where you're like, no, you are not 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Give it a rest. Right. Okie doke. Uh, let's talk about the movie. Yeah. So I will say that, again, because I saw this for the first time as someone 
and I was around the age that oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Ben is supposed to be when I probably would have been saw this. Well. This was in like 2005 or, or so when I watched this movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just that uh, <laughs> culturally I wasn't conditioned to notice a very troubling coercive and stalkerish behavior or if I had just forgotten about it but I did not remember how much coercion and stalking and just general creepiness there is in this movie because it's nearly I mean non-stop no one was talking about that in 2005 and I also <laughs> think that like it was still like you know 50 plus years after this movie came out like that was still like considered not completely inappropriate behavior by a lot of people right this is how you romance someone you exactly gaslight them you don't take no for an answer you push 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 you stalk 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 i mean that still happens in movies from the last 10 years yeah. like you know it's not 2005 caitlin's fault because I, <laughs> I definitely didn't clock this movie as anything but boring right uh when i first saw it but i also feel like people still when they talk about this movie are just like Hey, isn't it kind of wild that this movie is about a younger man and an older woman? And isn't that kind of like a little weird, but also hot? And that's the conversation about this movie. I kind of wonder when the last time they watched it is. Because I feel like when you do watch it, it's kind of like undeniable that a lot of it is like, I don't know. But yeah, the, the takeaway from this, I feel like it almost, and this is like kind of thankfully not a popular term anymore but like the cougar relationship like Mm -hmm. this was i feel like a real big like whatever pop culture like milestone sure for that so okay so just to start like just to kind of track their relationship i kind of want to go chronologically because sure going chronologically it's a disaster (laughs) because from the beginning i i do as i do think that like i mean mrs robinson's like unquestionably like manipulative and coercive Mm -hmm. with him where she like knows that he is you know inexperienced Mm -hmm. seems to sort of pick him out as like okay i want to have sex with this young man Mm -hmm. it's not illegal like i i it's not even the age gap that's the issue it's the power dynamics right where and her approach she like very again it's just like like, calls out what's happening and she is like that's not what's happening nuh-uh Right, right. And then she literally traps him in her daughter's room, which you're also like, okay, Freudian nightmare. Um, <laughs> Truly. Traps him in her daughter's room and like takes her clothes. I mean, and even, I mean, not to have any faith in the year 1967, but if you reverse those dynamics, I feel like it is clearly wrong. <laughs> even then yeah but it's framed here as like kind of funny and kind of hot which is like we've we've talked about that i'm trying to remember what episode it was but we're like and now we're getting media that like challenges that idea that like Mm -hmm. men cannot possibly be the victims of assault right from from any gender but particularly from women because of how women are perceived as less powerful and it doesn't matter what the power dynamics are Mm -hmm. a a man can't be assaulted because that would be emasculating and all that stuff it just feels like this movie you know is not inventing this concept but certainly abiding by it yeah, she is like, again, just pushing, 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 won't take no for an answer. He is very visibly uncomfortable. But like you said, I think his discomfort is more framed as like a 
Well, this isn't it's like a no means yes thing. That and like it's not so much like you're exploiting your power over me to manipulate me. It's more like I can't be doing this because you're a family friend. And what would my parents think? Mm-hmm. And that is like more, it seems, where his discomfort is coming from. And then a few scenes later, he's like, well, your husband told me I should go out there and fuck. So, and you're available. <laughs> you threw yourself right. at me, Mrs. Robinson. So let's do this. Which like, okay, I get that that's like supposed to be part of the like jokiness of the movie is like, oh, you know, because whatever. Right. Sure. But yeah, like, yeah, the, the way that and again, it's like, I get that. It's been 55 years, but it is it's very, been 84 very bizarre years. to watch. Sorry. And I still <laughs> struggle with that scene. There, <laughs> it's just like, it, it is jarring to watch in a modern context. Be- very. And then it, it, what's, what's interesting is like, throughout the movie, the power dynamics between them do shift mm-hmm. pretty considerably, but it doesn't start there. It definitely, like Mrs. Robinson has the power of experience over him. She has the power of, you know, she's a friend of the family and he doesn't want to be impolite to her mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like she does have the power during this first encounter and she abuses that power mm-hmm. during their first encounter. But then pretty quickly, it's almost like implied that like once he's having sex, the power dynamic totally shifts in some ways, yeah. not in every scene. It's complicated. And that scene where they're, you know, sharing and arguing with each other, like that's where I feel like it is like genuinely murky and kind of like more of an interesting dynamic to explore. Mm-hmm. But like, he just gets so so cocky right away. Yeah. The second he's having sex, the coerciveness of the first encounter like has no effect on him, and he just like is immediately like, "I'm Mr. Fuck now," blah blah blah. <laughs> like Mr. Fuck, Mr. Fuck. He becomes imagine having sex one time and then being like, "I'm never gonna get a job." You're like, "What are you talking about?" I don't like, need to work. I'm Mr. Fuck. <laughs> I'm Mr. Fuck. I have a job. It's being Mr. Fuck. And you're just like, this is whatever. He's 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 going through something mm-hmm. and he's a he's a disaster. But the power dynamic does shift between them in a way that it's like, I don't know, like truly some moments in this movie. I was like, I know how I am interpreting this, but I'm not sure how audiences at the time were like right. at, there were certain because I felt like, and maybe I'm giving the movie too much credit, the the movie does seem aware in some moments, I thought, maybe, but then countering with Mrs. Robinson's behavior later, maybe not, mm-hmm. that the movie does seem somewhat aware that Mrs. Robinson is ultimately more trapped than Ben is, where it's like, even though she has the power at the beginning of the relationship, unquestionably, as time goes on, you sort of learn more about like, her background she was essentially like culturally forced into a marriage she didn't want Mm -hmm. she was culturally forced out of her education and so she's already like for i mean she's a wealthy white woman and it seems like she came from privilege if she was going to college in the 60s or in the whatever 50s 40s 40s in the first place but even coming from considerable privilege she's still very like trapped in the American housewife experience and it seems like there is very little opportunity for her 
to get out of it. Whereas mm-hmm. Ben will flop his way through life, no problem. Like, I have no doubt. Flopping his way around as Mr. Fuck. I, yeah. but okay, so I totally agree with you. And I think that that is a, a very, that could have been explored way more thoughtfully. Yeah. With, with her as someone who is like trapped in this relationship and this marriage and is like looking for an out and maybe finds one in this younger guy that could be a very interesting story and an interesting dynamic to explore but the movie frames her the way because I want to examine how the movie thinks of her and and actually treats her versus like how we I want to talk about that too because sometimes I'm like there's a part in the middle where I was like okay the movie understands that like she's not a good person Mm -hmm. uh but you can see but then by the end she's a fucking cartoon villain and so you're just like right right so at first it feels like and maybe this is just my interpretation but when we first meet her i think the movie wants you to think that she's kind of this like lonely desperate woman and she's desperate because she's older and her husband won't have sex with her and that's why she's an alcoholic you're like it's literally and bancroft like what do you (laughs) what and like and that we're supposed to like not even empathize with her but like sympathize with her we're like oh this poor yeah you're supposed to pathetic bad for her woman right yeah even though she is like actively manipulating and coercing we're supposed to be like oh well that's just what pathetic people do especially if you're like an older woman right um then when she finds out about this blossoming relationship between ben and her daughter she pivots and becomes well not even i don't know if it's a pivot but she basically just becomes this like jealous shrew type and then gets like scarier and scarier and the movie wants you to be like and the movie frames her that way because it's like i feel like if you didn't stuff like you wouldn't put that scene in torrential rain if you didn't want her to come off manic and like on the edge like mascara dripping on like making her look like right scary i mean and that's i feel like that's like truly for her character like the shark jump moment that Mm -hmm. like could have and again you're like it's the 60s there's no fucking chance this would have happened and there's this whole argument for it's so like whatever the late 60s has this reputation of being a sexual revolution but Mm -hmm. if you look into it it's a sexual revolution that generally benefited men Mm -hmm. not to say that women weren't uh having a good time and we love that for them and they were like making huge gains that would lead to roe v wade and all this stuff but net benefit mostly men right um which classic outcome Mm -hmm. anyways there's a point where i wanted to believe because it's i i also did not retain a lot of the specifics of this movie Mm -hmm. i remember like the main points right but when she says like don't date my daughter you know, because of the time it came out, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to think that she's jealous of her own daughter mm-hmm. when that same reaction would have played way more realistically for me if she was like, don't date my daughter because you're fucking weirdo. Because you're a cre- like, creepo. Yeah. Right. And then you could have the movie play out not exactly the same way, but, but like kind of similarly 
with her feeling that way of like, stay the fuck away from my daughter. Stay the fuck away from my family. Mm -hmm. You are stalking my daughter. Right. But instead, the movie is like, no, she's jealous and she's jealous of her own daughter. And sure, she claims that she doesn't want Ben dating her daughter because she thinks that he's not good enough for her. But that's clearly not how she's characterized as as being she's like just this jealous woman who went from pathetic to now she's scary and evil it sucks it's like such lost potential in a strong setup for a character like there's so many issues you could have explored but it was like four you know guys feeling around in the dark for something they couldn't possibly understand Mm mm-hmm Right, Ugh. and, and then, this, yeah, it's really frustrating. And then the nail in the coffin is when you find out that when Elaine goes to Ben at the like apartment that he's renting because he's renting that apartment so that he can more easily stalk Stalker. Elaine. It's so she comes wild. to him, and she's like, "By the way, my mom told me that you raped her," uh. and he sets the record straight because, to be fair, that is not what happened. But then you have this situation now where Mrs. Robinson lied about having been assaulted, which statistically rarely does not happen that often at all in real life. But because of this culture we live in and this perception that, oh, when a woman or any survivor of rape or any kind of sexual assault comes forward and, and says that this has happened she's lying and that's just right. popularly believed to be true so yeah let's let's unpack that because that i did not remember that at all me either and it is barely called like okay so first of all the baseline is is horrific because it's that she lies about assault which as you said and as there's been a bajillion studies like that barely happens mm-hmm. and this is presenting it very matter-of-factly as like well yeah she's a liar and and in this case that is canonically true mm-hmm. so that's like again just like you're like okay this movie has a very low opinion of mrs robinson which is wild because there are mo- like it was just driving me up a wall because it's like there are moments where it feels like you start with like you should feel bad for this woman then there's a moment in like the middle where it's like oh you could actually empathize with this character and then she turns wildly evil Mm -hmm. it's impossible to track and i feel like i get so attached to those moments where you can really empathize with her and it makes the back half of the movie just impossible i mean the whole movie is impossible but like (laughs) the back half of the movie in particular is just like what is happening um Mm -hmm. but on top of that like so she tells her family did she tell her her husband that he also assaulted her or is that her because her husband says that he's divorcing her i'm like is he divorcing her because he thinks she was raped or was she honest with him and lied to her daughter i I couldn't tell i don't think we know for sure okay which is a very weird thing to not tell us these things need to be clear yeah i feel like those conversations should have happened on screen or something that like yeah we need more clarity there we should see the the robinsons outside of ben at any time and i don't think it takes away from and like and ugh, you're just walking around like i don't need to watch ben stalk someone for five minutes i can safely assume that's probably what he's doing uh it's <laughs> right. all i've seen him do and but yeah it's like i wasn't sure what she had told her husband which feels like really important information to not know mm-hmm. i don't really see the like narrative upside of not knowing right and then with 
I, I know we haven't even finished the Mrs. Robinson conversation, but with Elaine, it gets even more confusing because she understandably, like her mother told her I was raped by Ben. Mm-hmm. Elaine has no reason to disbelieve. Like she right. has no reason to disbelieve her mother. Mm-hmm. So she goes to see Ben very upset and confused. Also, I don't know why she's going to see him, but she does. Well, she goes to confront him like, why are you here? Is it because I'm here? And then he's like, yup. He's like, yup, I love you. And then she's like, well, you know, my mom told me that you assaulted her. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't even like defend himself, really. He just, she screams because she's, I mean, under, she's fucking confused and upset. Mm-hmm. And then the landlord shows up and is like, Ben, you have to leave, which like, fair. fair. Yeah. <laughs> get out he's he's like something's not right about you and it's like yeah you're you're right the landlord and i can't believe i'm about to say this but the landlord is the hero of this movie it's just that (laughs) that's muddled it's (laughs) it's that messy but like so the landlord kicks him up but like i really can't trace what's going through her head like she sees him get kicked out does perceive it as like oh it's my fault he's getting evicted because i screamed Mm -hmm. because i fully believed two minutes ago that he assaulted my mother but then by the time the door closes she apologizes and it's never explicitly Mm -hmm. stated that she no longer believes her mom but all of her actions indicate that for some reason watching him get evicted made her no longer believe her mother's rape allegations i mean he does kind of lay out the events of what we saw happen on screen which i guess yeah he does we are to believe that that is what happened so he's like no i she came on to me and blah 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 but then yeah elaine just automatically believes him and then feels bad that his landlord is yelling at him and then she's like well i guess we can get married now i'll consider it and that's married it's like it's again and this is like I don't even like having to like entertain this situation, but this is a moment where like, if that is what the story wants to happen, you have to know what her relationship with her mom is like. Yeah. Like has her mom behaved deceptively towards her before? Is there any reason that she would be inclined to believe Ben, like a vague acquaintance over her own mom? Right. Does her mom have a habit of lying and manipulating her does she know that her mom has cheated on her dad in the past like is there is there Mm -hmm. either way you're the the message in 1967 is like don't believe women with rape allegations and and like that's just like a flop from the start like Mm -hmm. it's a non-starter but you you're given no information on like why her own daughter would believe this like and I and, and I, I do think that that like speaks to the I don't even know it, it's so confusing because I whatever we weren't there it's like that could I guess I'll, I'll say is like that could speak to the cultural moment of like how prevalent believing men over women was at that time right that's not hard to believe but even so we're in fucking Berkeley California in 1967 she is a college student you know it's like she's in the middle of second wave feminism and i'm supposed to believe that in the space of a scene she believes 
some guy she barely knows over her mom when she's like kind of in this like hotbed of second wave feminism like i just don't buy it i don't know right some guy who she's been on 1.1 dates with like that was bad (laughs) and and most of it was her crying it's just so i mean it's like the fact that rape allegations were brought into this it, it was just like so unnecessary truly complicates things immensely makes mrs robinson even more of a villain than we already were to believe she was and then makes elaine just seem like a character without two brain cells to rub together like right which uh, i mean let's take a break and then come back and try to make sense of this This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. And we're back. And we're back. One more thing about this, because, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope we're not coming off as, like, sounding, like, overly dismissive. It's just, like, it's really hard to talk about this plot point because it's, like, it's just so absurd in the way it's presented that it's, like, mm-hmm. hard to take seriously. It's because the character's behavior are, are just making no sense. And ultimately, I just, I feel like my takeaway from that and the absurdity of how it's presented and the absurdity of how all the characters involved react is it's almost presented like it's a a throwaway thing like it's a throwaway plot point right which is something that for the most part like i've no longer happens in media because rape is not a throwaway plot point but we you know this is Mm -hmm. the 60s and this is a time where you could show rape on screen and present it as romantic this is a time that Mm -hmm. you know culturally in the u.s marital rape was legal like there there's just there's a lot there's a lot yeah but this movie is just like 
for, for, I think it's interesting for a movie that was presented as like cutting edge progressive to introduce a plot point like this and unintroduce it so abruptly really speaks to like right how how glad I am I wasn't alive then like I don't know. <laughs> right because this moment in the movie is basically just presented as an obstacle to keep Ben and Elaine apart because now Ben's yeah. desire is to be with Elaine so now the movie has to present obstacles for, for them not reason? to be able to be together and one of these obstacles is this false allegation that I think we're meant to believe Mrs. Robinson makes because she, again, is so jealous that he has chosen her daughter over her that she's going to do whatever it takes to keep them apart because that's just how jealous and shrewy she is. Like, that's what we're supposed to believe as an audience. Yeah, and I feel like it's like... <laughs> Well, let me know if you agree with this. It 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 feels like a lot of the time, like his stalking behavior is presented as like, well, they're forcing his hand. What is he supposed to do? Yeah, they won't let him be with her. They won't let him see her, so he has to stalk. He has no. Yeah, what choice is he left with? And you're like, she doesn't want to be with you. Like she mm -hmm. had, she's been in another relationship for months. It's implied. Carl, like <laughs> Carl, God. What? Ultimately, what happens to Carl? probably he does a lot of damage on wall street as my guess oh sure but carl i mean I, you do feel for carl for, for a single for a single second because he does get whacked with a cross and he thinks he's at his wedding <laughs> horrible day for horrible day for carl day for not carl. just left at the altar but kind of like assaulted by the altar <laughs> haven't seen it before uh <laughs> just like wow insult Whoa. to injury for carl but also he sucks he like, does cares? Su yeah i don't feel bad for carl just elaine needs to get out okay so let's talk about elaine's choices yes and how they simply do not track at all we've already touched on some of them but she is written in such a way that she just makes whatever decision needs to be made so that Ben can get what he wants. No choices she makes, no her changing her mind about something is ever prompted by anything that makes sense. Yeah. Like after months of stalking her, which she calls out mm -hmm. and is like, why are you here? Is it because of me? And he admits to it. And then, that is something that she's like, well, okay, is not like now that I know you, you see, you must be in love with me. If you're, if you went through all the lengths to come here and stalk me, like that must mean you really like me and, and, and that's cool. And I like that. And, and so now I'm going to consider marrying you. And then when they go from like being on bad terms to her coming around for again reasons that make no sense mm -hmm. he starts coercing her into marriage and he's like let's go get our blood test let's do this tomorrow but, but like what you've been on one date and to the point where it <laughs> but at this point it's interesting because i feel like originally again it is very like the classic i'm gonna wear her down thing because at first it seems like she explicitly does not want to be stalked. She's very upset about it. She believes that he has assaulted her mother. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's the last person she wants around. But then because she believes him over her mom for reasons we don't understand mm -hmm. and reasons that are not 
we are not meant to understand. It's supposed to be like implicit for some reason because, oh, well, Ben's the lead character and Mrs. Robinson is a woman over 40. So she's evil. Like, that's why. <laughs> right. But by the end of this stalking behavior, the behavior hasn't changed. She just likes it now. And it's like funny mm-hmm. to her now. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, I could date. I could marry someone else. Blah, blah, blah. And it, but it's weird because it's like she still seems annoyed with him. But it's like but now it's like it's flirty. She it's a says, flirty stalk. Okay. You're like. Blah. She jokes about it. She says, yeah. so he's like following her around everywhere she's going on campus saying, marry me, marry me, marry me. Um, it's like that part in Arrested Development. Marry me. You're like, can you, <laughs> I'm just like, can you like literally, I, I feel like I sound like such a boomer, Renette, but I'm like, get a job. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So, oh my God. He's trying to coerce her into agreeing to marry him tomorrow and it's not just like can we get married someday he's like let's do this tomorrow and then she says as a kind of a joke why don't you drag me off if you want to marry me so bad and he says maybe i will like now they're joking about right they're joking about how he's been stalking her and and (laughs) and then she's like well okay i might marry you but I have to talk to Carl first because I also told him that I might marry him. So this is just oh, a female character written by men who is written in such a way that she will just agree to marry any I, guy that enters her life. So I have questions about that. I again, and I think yeah. that I'm I mean, OK, that's oversimplification. But again, I was going into like jamie headcanon world of like what if a woman had been involved in a second of the writing process and 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 what 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 mysteries could have been unlocked (laughs) i am curious how aware the movie is i mean i i i'm i'm gonna operate from a baseline of no based on this entire discussion Mm -hmm. but i do think it is interesting and kind of telling that it doesn't appear that anyone in the movie recognizes that the daughter is making her fate is similar to her mom's to the point Mm -hmm. where like I mean she's not she's she's not forced out of her education because she's pregnant she almost opts out of her education to get married which was a very real pressure then and I also feel like you do get a little bit of class commentary the point of university is to find a suitable husband Rose already has that. And that was 50 years, five years before this. And, but like, and I do think that there is like, whether it's like superintended or not, some class commentary there of like, you know, rich women only go to college so that they can find a suit, you know, they can marry a rich man. There is a level. And, and I mm-hmm. think that that's why the parents are so invested in, like, it seems creepy because it is, but like the parents are very invested in these two rich kids marrying each other to mm-hmm. like maintain class. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a very real thing right this movie might be sort of aware of that but i just wonder because it's like it does seem like elaine is like her fate will be similar to mrs robinson's like and i do think the movie acknowledges that especially based on how through like that the last very shot. E- the very end yeah, yeah exactly where like after that it's initial ex- excitement <laughs> wears off where they're like teehee i just ran away from a wedding and we got on a bus and she's like wait a second who are you they're <laughs> Their faces drop, and yeah. I think they're both realizing like this horrible mistake that they've made. And I would hope, especially sure. 
Elaine is like, what did oh, I Elaine just do? Fucked. It was not a mistake for her to run away from her wedding with Carl because also she definitely should have done that anyway. Who's Carl? But I just hope she's like, can you drop me off at Berkeley, please? <laughs> I I have to finish like, my bachelor's degree. Right. What a uh, wild weekend. Um, please bring me back right. to school. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's like I, I do. I, t- I totally agree where it's like it's one of the most famous parts of this movie is that they clearly realize that they've made a mistake at the end Mm -hmm. but i guess i'm i'm more questioning the specific of like does she realize it is similar to what happened to her mother specifically i i'm not sure because of that one interaction the one interaction you see these two women have is mrs robinson yelling like she's fucking jafar like she's like it's too late <laughs> like you know <laughs> oh yeah like uh, ursula uh it's yeah too, like name any disney renaissance is, villain the sun has set, set and now she's late she turns again. into a big ass octopus <laughs> like it's very villainous it's too late it's not a loving mm-hmm. it's too late and then elaine says not for me and i'm like but you're <laughs> but you're you you're tacitly agreeing to marry the biggest loser you've ever met which is what mrs robinson had to do but she but mm-hmm. i mean she had fewer choices than elaine and it's like elaine what are you doing like mrs robinson it's heavily implied in the scene that i think she's presented most empathetically and has the most self-awareness around women's issues uh, for her generation was like she got pregnant and the options are I'm sorry what word did you say she was heavy with greg <laughs> thank you she got she got pregnant in the car mm-hmm. so she, she gets pregnant in a car and her options societally are marry big greg mm-hmm. or you know live in shame <laughs> and like right. There are very few options available to her. Because she can't have an abortion, certainly, at that time. She can't, not legally, mm-hmm. not legally. And and even if she were able to access abortion as a fairly privileged woman, there, you know, you would carry that stigma throughout your life. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I do feel like the movie presents how she was given no choice and kind of, like, pushed into this loveless mm-hmm. marriage, which does make you more empathetic for, like, she wants to feel seen and validated physically because she and her husband are not a good sexual match, but she's stuck with him. Mm-hmm. And like, that is a really interesting story to present mm-hmm. and like a really interesting generational conflict to present. But then it just totally drops. Like I just, it drops. that scene is so interesting to me because it completely drops to the point where I don't even know why they bothered, you know? <laughs> like Right. And then, it, and then it's, it's as if the movie says, well, yeah, of course this wasn't going to be sustainable. And when a more age-appropriate woman comes along in a lane, well, obviously that's going to be a better match. But because we barely see Ben and Elaine interact, we don't know why they're into each other. Most of their interactions are wholly negative. Like Right. And like, what do they have in common? <sighs> there's that scene where there's like, a car full of loud people next to them and they're like shut up and then so they like i kind of thought that was like funny that they did that but <laughs> that i was also like because you're just like sure i guess well then like ben puts the convertible top on his <laughs> no car it's the sound of silence caitlin it's the sound get with the program but rather than us hearing the conversation between 
Ben and Elaine then and give the audience a chance to be informed about, you know, what they might have in common or what why they're into each other. We don't hear their dialogue and we just continue to hear the loud teenagers in the car next to them. And it's like, it's well, so frustrating because it and also like it's I'm not even, you know, whatever. We're not asking that these women be perfect. No, absolutely not. And it's not even, you know, it's by no means off the table to have a child make the same mistake that their parent made and not realize that's something that happens pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. It is like a topic that's worth exploring, but it just like seems like the movie like doesn't even really register that that's what they know that Elaine's making a mistake mm-hmm. and that being with Ben is a mistake and that Ben is my interpretation of Ben's behavior is he basically asks her like he does get like forced into taking her on a date but then I feel like he keeps pushing it almost as revenge against Mrs. Robinson mm-hmm. more than out of a genuine love for Elaine which you would think would outrage Mrs. Robinson on the basis of her daughter's life is going to be fucked up, but no, it's out of, you know, spiteful revenge. Yeah. You know, over, over, for what? For Mr. Fuck? I don't think so. Yeah. The satire is present, but it's not clear enough. And, And it would be more clear if we got more interaction or really any interactions between Elaine and her mother right and like some kind of awareness around like the amount of stuff that could have been cleared up in the space of a few scenes with them we'll never know because it's like it is right it would be interesting to see this movie from elaine's perspective (laughs) because it's really hard to connect the dots here's a joke that i've been trying to figure out how to wedge into the story that isn't gonna land but oh okay what if don't be so sure What if that's what Swiss Family Robinson is about? We get their perspective. Okay. And <laughs> I don't know what that is, though. What's Swiss I Family barely Robinson? know what it is either. It's it was a show, maybe. Oh. Or maybe it was a movie. I don't know. It was some media. Oh, I was thinking of Little Debbie Swiss Rolls. <laughs> Swiss Family like, Robinson. What? I want to say it was a show in some decade okay. about this family who like were they swiss i think they got shipwrecked i want to say they were probably swiss but i don't remember they got shipwrecked on an island and then they like built this whole like jungle gym and like out of tree houses it's just what? like a tree house situation that sounds kind of i might not be remembering this correctly let me just do a quick google <laughs> what you're saying kind of reminds me of something different but uh the boxcar children oh remember them uh yeah yeah sure swiss family robinson is a 1960 film okay about oh yeah when their ship gets damaged on route to new guinea okay they take refuge on a deserted island and the robinsons live to learn in the wild and they have various adventures and build an impressive house in a tree okay that sounds kind of fun however while island life is full excitement, the question of whether to return to civilization looms. <gasps> Interesting. <laughs> okay. So... I'm, let's talk about that. No. Did you ever read Boxcar Children? Um, I don't know that I ever did. I feel like those books were on my shelf as a kid, but I don't know if I ever picked them up and read them. 
I liked them, but I do remember if I'm and Bar Square Children had sound off. If you remember, my memory was I was disappointed because the first they're like orphans, and through some sort of mm. series of unfortunate events, let's say. <laughs> They do sure. have to live in a boxcar temporarily. Okay. But I went into the series because there's like a million of them, uh-huh. the books, not children. Mm. I went into them being like, oh, this is good. They're going to always, they're, they're the boxcar children. They're going to keep living in the boxcar. They're going to travel from place to place. Uh-huh. They only live in the boxcar for the first book. Oh, well, I mean, that's good for them. I they mean, don't it's have good to... for them. <laughs> but I but you were like, thought, I want to know about these boxcar children living in these in this box car for the rest of their dang lives. I was just more interested in where the box car was going to go. I thought mm. it was going to be sort of like a little travel kind of adventure. They'd go from place to place sure. in the box car. It's just not how this, that's not the series went in a different direction. Uh-huh. And I can, I can respect that. Sure. That, that happens anyway. Right. Uh, so this movie, the yeah. female characters in this movie are written in a way that's very frustrating yeah pretty inscrutable their choices make no sense in the case of elaine or they go from pathetic to evil in the case of mrs robinson and with ben i feel like we've called we've addressed most of his behavior i think the thing that we have not gotten around to that i was truly uh did not remember it at all and i was struck mm. uh was when he told his parents that he was getting married to elaine and then slowly was like but i haven't asked her and, and she doesn't know and she doesn't like me by the way and it's tomorrow and now i'm taking <laughs> your car to stalk her in berkeley and you're just like oh my god to the point where i was like well at least the parents also seem completely confused as to what the fuck is going on Mm -hmm. but the parents are also like so so supportive of whatever (sighs) their weirdo son wants to do that they don't uh, whatever i just it it does give me gen x like you don't understand mom meanwhile Mm -hmm. mom is like in love with you would do anything for you would die for you Mm -hmm. and you're just like oh you're stifling me i'm like oh my god she literally (laughs) just bought you a car but you a car yeah she didn't make you get a job like what what are you talking oh, god i'm mm. feeling like a real auntie right now okay <laughs> um but that scene just absolutely blew my mind and i know that that scene is supposed to be funny which i did laugh but it was because i was nervous because i'm afraid of him <laughs> i'm afraid of the character ben right. ben pp or whatever his name is i did he's he freaks me out he makes me really uncomfortable um yeah okie dokie a scene that i did genuinely laugh at was one of the many times Ben is floating in the pool at his house. <laughs> he can't stop. <laughs> he can't stop, won't stop. Very his dad Kendall comes up and he's like, you can't just be floating in the pool all the time, son. You got to go out there and make something of yourself. And then he's, he's like, like want a bet? <laughs> and, and his dad's like, are you going to go to graduate school or what? And Ben says either like, no, or I don't know. And then... His dad is like, well, then would you mind telling me what those four years of college, what all that hard work was for? And then Ben's like, you got me. And I'm like, haha, that is funny because it's like college is a scam. Right. And it's and- like, <laughs> there are moments where you're like, this movie like is not completely unself-aware. Like mm-hmm. they, it does make a couple of points about like, whatever, like the, the aimlessness of rich kids, I feel like is at some points in the movie feels pretty cogent, but then it, you know, under, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe that does sort of come through throughout because by the end you're just like, oh, 
Ben has made yet another selfish, reckless, rich boy decision by like doing this. But we are supposed to be rooting for him. But I do that like I feel like that got like a percentage of the way there because he is a privileged, aimless fucko who doesn't know what he wants and will flop his way through life. And like, again, which is like they start to explore it, but like things don't make enough sense for you to really be able to explore that topic with any sort of thoroughness or or effectiveness. Mm -hmm. But I guess you do, you do, I guess to the movie's credit, you do get the vibe that it's like this person has so much privilege that they literally don't know what to do with it. And they're just making reckless decisions that are hurting other people. Mm -hmm. Um, He has no understanding of other people. He has really no interest in other people. And I do feel like the movie is at least aware of that. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a very, very, selfish person and it's like i don't even think this movie is bad but i just i just just think it's like so i mean up its own butt in a weird way like i just don't it's so of its time that i get it's really hard to interact with Um, right there were a lot of things where i'm like yeah elaine is just agreeing to marry any guy who goes on one date with her but i'm like is that just how it was in the 60s? Like, maybe there well, I, are things. I feel like there is a way that you could acknowledge that. Like, there's a way that you, mm-hmm. if that is a, because I do, like, that definitely was a pressure that existed in the 60s. And maybe if that's asking too much of a movie, because it's like, if you were watching it in the time it came out, you would have just known that. Right. So that is completely possible. But I just, I don't know, maybe I have this complete misunderstanding of Central California in the 1960s, but it was like not making sense to me. (laughs) If this happened in like Idaho, it would make more sense to me than if it was happening Mm. in like this hotbed of activism. It just like wasn't. But also it's like I, I think that you, you very well may be right. It's like if you were if you were there, you would know like people. I mean, I know people like I know that my mom had friends who dropped out of college to get married. Like there, mm. you know, it's it definitely was a thing throughout most of the 20th century. Right. I just don't understand why. I just don't think we know Elaine well enough to have the context for why it's happening for her slash at all we don't know her really at all no do we know what she's matriarchy? we don't we know, but to be no, fair Mrs. we also Robinson don't did. know what ben majored in that is true i don't think that is true so maybe and maybe the message there is like higher education is pointless which not completely <laughs> wrong um so i mean i'm pro-education to be clear i'm just anti why does it cost sixty thousand dollars a year to go to school and i'm also uh anti i'm i'm against yeah overpriced education for things that you could just learn Learn for free or something Uh, (laughs) well it's just i mean i'm oh god whatever like my alma mater offers a comedy major which i think is uh, straight up (sighs) financial exploitation yes you do not need to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to go to an open mic uh famously (laughs) you have to pay like you know twelve dollars at the beginning because they do make you you know have two narragansetts or whatever but like (laughs) get a fuck whatever that's not but you know get a degree for things you need degrees for certainly not a master's degree in screenwriting from boston university though i was you know most of the arts you could probably skip it um or you know go to an uh affordable university right okay uh i wanted to talk a little bit the i think the like the last topic i wanted to discuss was 
Mrs. Robinson's sexuality and how it is presented mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the ups, the downs, the in-betweens. Because we, we've sort of, I mean, we, we had no choice but to really get into the weeds as to like what the characters are thinking. And mm-hmm. I do, I will fully acknowledge to any of our listeners who are older than us that there might be generational things that we are missing here. For sure. Absolutely. But I also think that there's just a lot of stuff in this, the, a lot of the women's specifically motivations don't make a ton of sense, even if the realities of, of the era are true. Mm-hmm. Like there's no need to vilify Mrs. Robinson with no context whatsoever. Right. There's no reason to not show the mother and the daughter's relationship. There's no reason that we don't know what Mrs. Robinson told her husband. Like the movie just doesn't really have interest in mm-hmm. many facets of its women. Right. But I do want to discuss it because for a character, not an actor, but for a character that's over 40 and a woman, I feel like it was edgy at the time to even present her as sexually viable. Certainly, yeah. And again, that's going to be a double-edged situation because her sexuality is, it is like presented as like, it's clear that like Ben desires her. There's no doubt that like, they are attracted to each other physically <laughs> he he's says, like yeah like right he says i find you the most attractive of all of my parents, parents friends friend. so he has to like put a little kind of a funny line like you know terms and conditions on it <laughs> i do think that is kind of a funny line but like yeah i i, I feel like we've talked about so many movies where women past whatever age it is for the era it's coming out in their bodies past a certain age are grotesque Mm. and scary often used for horror and and all this stuff right that is not how mrs robinson's body is used she is presented as a very viable desirable woman but then there also are these moments where we're supposed to feel badly for her Mm. but it's weird i feel i do like the core idea of like a movie in the late 60s presenting a woman over the age of like 30 who's like married and like cheating on her husband and like all the stuff you didn't see very often and still presenting her as like this sexy complicated person Mm -hmm. at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. movie Mm -hmm. but but again it like is kind of a zero-sum game because of how coercive she is at the top and then how villainous she is and so there's just like there's 20 minutes where i'm like really rooting for her Right. Uh. And and if you if you're able to see past the way the movie wants you to look at her and just kind of and like Which I think you can. Totally. And you know, that's how I'm reading the movie, but Yeah. Right. It's it's so limited and then she mm-hmm. turns into like a sea witch. She literally basically. It's it's too late. I think that is what Ursula says. It is literally what Ursula says. It's too late. Uh, and then yeah. and then Elaine turns back into a mermaid. <laughs> it's a whole thing. But no, I, I agree that it's it's you know, not nothing that this is a movie, at least in part, about a relationship, a sexual relationship between an older woman and a younger man, and one that is not because we've examined many relationships in movies on the podcast where it's like 
illegal or like don't even get me started about licorice pizza you know but um this one it's certainly i think society would consider it taboo because she's like old enough to be his mom but he is a a full adult a young adult you know he's only 20 or 21 but young adult you know he's he's able to make his own choices as a legal adult so yeah it's not even it's not the age gap that troubles me it's it's all about her approach to entering this relationship with him and but so if if the movie eliminated that, which I wish it would have, if it was just about a woman who, yeah, like, I'm trapped in this marriage, in this sexless marriage with a man who doesn't desire me or appreciate me or love me or, you know, any of the things that you want out of a relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I'm seeking love and affection and validation elsewhere. Like, this is a very relatable thing for a lot of people. Or even, like... I am seeking a no strings attached sexual relationship. Also fine. Right. Right. Could have been. And then it's like, I feel like there's an alternate version of this movie where they're like, I just feel like their sexual experience, even in like the traditional like tropes of sexual experience doesn't track where it's like you would think, and it does, I mean, we don't have proof that mrs robinson has done this before but i feel like we're supposed to believe that she's been cheating on her husband for some time it's certainly within the realm of possibilities yeah she's more she's way more experienced than he is Mm -hmm. so the fact that she's the one that ends up getting jealous and it's not like him and again this is not a universal experience but i feel like it's often portrayed and i don't know it was it was my experience i know it's some people's experience that like the first person that you have sex with sometimes like you have you develop a a attachment to that person you want a relationship with them Mm -hmm. it would like the dynamics like don't even make sense i track very well right and i don't know it's just mm. so this could have been a story that is just far more empathetic to the women in the narrative and just like more thoughtful and interesting but instead it just like leans into the trope of older women are desperate and pathetic and if they want sex then ugh, that's scary and evil beware which the movie feels differently about at different times it's very confusing by the end it's like she's evil to have ever wanted sex but then Oh pee pee like oh, I just poo poo even can I sh- can I unfortunately share a Roger Ebert quote but I do think it's an interesting one yeah please so he I I referenced this earlier I have the quote now so he like praised the hell out of this movie when it came out in 1967 mm-hmm. then he covered it again in 1997 what the year Titanic came out. I know. I'm like, don't you have anything better to do? Like watch Titanic 500 times? Like watch Titanic. (laughs) But but I thought his reflection was interesting. So here it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Quote, 
It comes out at a specific time in the late 1960s when parents stood for stodgy middle-class values and the kids were joyous rebels at the cutting edge of the sexual and political revolutions. Today, looking at The Graduate, I see Benjamin not as an admirable rebel, but as a self-centered creep whose put-downs of adults are tiresome. To know that the movie once spoke strongly to a generation is to understand how deep the generation gap ran during that extraordinary time in the late 1960s, unquote. Mm. So, you know, a, a moment of uh, of clarity from, uh, from our, our pal Roger. Good old friend Roger. Huh. I think that, that was a pretty thoughtful reflection. And mm-hmm. also, the, the other thing that's like left out of this movie that you would think would be, but like just historically, you're like, why is like the war not being discussed at all? Like, mm-hmm. there's all this stuff that like it, it was such a politically charged time and it does give the movie like the illusion of timelessness but it does feel like there's these huge context holes that aren't there that you would think would be on right a 21 year old's mind like i just <laughs> for a movie that's supposed to be about like this radical generation it is like pretty outside of the class commentary pretty like apolitical in mm-hmm. its views like it's not really saying what people thought it was saying. I don't I don't know. Or maybe it was saying something at the time and it no longer scans for modern audiences. I don't True. really know. I just know that it's a it's a baffling watch for me. Same. Um, I just can't be asked to sympathize with an extremely privileged no, like, white man. But we'll be but who but, is a stalker and a creep. But again it's like Unfortunately, not the last character, not the first or the last character that uh, we've been asked to make that leap of faith with. And then people at the time were happy to do it. It's just fucking Joker money. I mean, (laughs) I don't want to talk about Joker. Not today. Um, Look, I love Catherine Ross. Mm. Uh, I didn't I didn't know. Did you know that she's married to Sam Elliott? I did know that, I didn't but know that's that. one of those things I learn and then I forget and then I learn it again like a year later. It's kind of and I'm fun like, oh, to, yeah, I really like her. Um, Okie doke. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything else you wanted to touch on? I don't believe so. Okay, so this movie does not pass the Bechdel test, I don't think. Um, do there's that one interaction between the the two of them, but I think that Ben is so heavily the subtext of that, and marriage to a man is so heavily the subtext of the uh, Ursula Ariel interaction that I don't <laughs> count it. Can you refer to that scene that you're talking about? Because I don't even remember an interaction between them. I know there's a scene where they're it's like a- in the same house. <laughs> It's at the wedding. It's at the it's at the, it's oh. the last interaction before Elaine and Ben run away. Right. It's um Mrs. Robinson grabs Elaine's arm, says it's too late. Elaine says not for me, and then okay. Mrs. Robinson starts hitting her. Do you remember now? Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Um Yeah. So that so definitely does it doesn't not pass. pass. And the only other time women are in the same room is at the parties. Mm-hmm. And then I don't even think we know like what Ben's mom's name is. We don't know who those people are. We never see them again. And they are all talking about Ben. Yeah. Like, do we even know what Mrs. Robinson's first name is? Like, mm, I want to just check really quick to see no. if we No, you don't. You never find out what her first name is. It's it's all Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, I'm I mean, I'm not inclined to give this movie any 
leeway or benefit of the doubt. It doesn't nah. it doesn't pass. Everyone's talking about Benjamin all the time and it's exhausting. And uh with that in mind, let's let's pivot over to our metric. Mm, the nipple uh, the nipple scale. scale. Zero to five nipples based on looking at the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give this movie I will give it a half nipple. Okay. And I'll give it that instead of zero nipples because I do think it was a cool choice to tell a story and, you know, adapt a a major motion picture, which would become the highest grossing movie of that year. A story about a kind of like taboo subject in an older woman and a younger man and you can make an argument that it is not appropriate or like the age gap is too big you can make an argument that it is not it's it's fine because they're both legal consenting adults i understand kind of both sides not to be a centrist over here but um okay (laughs) mr biden thanks for your insight (laughs) (laughs) but I appreciate any any story that is willing to explore kind of like a, a cultural taboo around that, especially when older women's sexuality is so often demonized and made to seem grotesque and horrific and yeah. scary, which this movie ultimately does to some extent. But there's that interesting 20 minutes where, it, where you think maybe it won't and then it does. Right. Uh, but but the the precedent had been set of her being so pushy and coercive that mm-hmm. you kind of did see that going in that direction. Right. But I so I I appreciate this movie, you know, exploring that topic. Uh it mishandles it and it mishandles everything else and it asks us to you know, root for a character who spends the back half of the movie doing nothing but stalking his love interest. Turns the front half of the movie being mo- the most boring man alive. <laughs> like sitting around in a pool all day, just lapping up his luxurious life. But I agree with you. I do agree with you that it's like this movie was tackling a topic that no one else was tackling in a major movie, especially successfully. So it's a real bummer that it's <laughs> handled very Fumbles it so badly. Yeah, so I'll give it a half... Interesting that an attempt was made. Right. So I'll give it a half nipple for that. It's also an extraordinarily white movie. Oh, yeah. Um, We're in fucking California. During, like, it's just, it's it's absurd that it's as white as it is. So, yeah, one half nipple, and I'll give it... I'll split it between Anne Bancroft and Catherine Ross. Uh, I'll, I'll meet you there. I think half a nipple, uh, you know, an attempt was made. And I do like that the movie gives you more information about Mrs. Robinson's backstory than anyone else mm-hmm. uh, in the movie, including Ben, but then leverages that against her for the remainder of the movie for reasons that are absolutely baffling to me. Um uh-huh. I yeah, I mean we we've we've talked about it quite a bit. I feel like there's just like there's a, a lot of interesting potential in this movie that didn't just go nowhere, it just completely undercut where it could have gone. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, ultimately very bummed out by uh, most of the creative choices in this movie. I love Anne Bancroft. I love Catherine Ross. Their characters deserved better. Their characters deserved 
to uh, talk to each other and uh, maybe mm. even make sense. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll split it between them as well. Uh, I don't see myself watching this movie again. Nope. Well, well with that in here's mind. Here's to you, Mrs. Loftfunkel. <laughs> here's to you, Mrs. Durfunkel. <laughs> Jesus loves you more than you will know. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the graduate. Um, <laughs> sorry to, sorry if you're mad, but <laughs> again, argue with the wall. We're right. I uh, know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, give us a little hey. follow on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can scoot Couldn't on over hurt. to our patreon aka matreon sure. at patreon.com slash bechtelcast where you'll get two bonus episodes every single month plus the uh-huh. entire back catalog of well over 100 bonus episodes that you can't find anywhere else uh yeah and right now it's jamie's birthday month and what are we gonna do uh none of your business <laughs> i guess you'll just have to tune in and find out huh wow we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun. I can't wait. And you can check out our merch if you so please at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast. And with that, Caitlin, do you want to uh, get on a municipal bus with me and have some re- regrets? I would love to, Jamie. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my oh. old friend. Oh. A Durfunkel classic. Oh, love it. All right. Bye. Mm, bye bye. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.